You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. My name is Jason Leininger. I'm the executive pastor here, and it's good, uh, good to be here today. It's good to see you here and uh, be a part of, of this worshiping community. And good to see you coming out on some, some uh, treacherous weather. Uh, I want to give you a two thumbs up for that, like, what, like way to go. You fought through the, the stuff that's happening outside. We are in a new year, and we're starting a new series here at Schweitzer called The Struggle is Real. We've got some great emojis that go along with that. Uh, the emojis kind of reflect lots of different things that rise up within us and within our culture, and so we're going to be looking at some of these things. We're also going to be looking at the text from, uh, or a number of texts from Scripture, from especially focused in on the book of Ephesians, and then some other texts along the way. And we, we really want to be listening as we take this journey to the Word of God, to the voice of Jesus, because we think Jesus has something to say to us where we live right now, where we're at. We think Jesus has the work of salvation, the full sense of work of salvation that comes alongside of us and speaks into the, into the moment where we're living, in, into the ways where we find our life at. So today we're going to be talking about dead ends. Pastor Bob is telling a story today about a dead end he experienced, uh, and, and maybe it's a, a dead end that, that all of us have experienced from one time or another. When you're out driving, if, if, if you drive, that is, if you are at the point in your life where you drive, uh, he was driving. Back this, this past summer, he went to a wedding down in uh, southern Missouri. He was in the Ozark Mountains. And when he drove to this place in, in the daytime, he could see where he was going. And then the sun went down, and he found himself lost. And he was trying to figure his way out. Have you ever been at that moment? He said every time he kept, he kept driving, he would turn on a different road, or he'd, he'd go a different way. He kept coming to dead ends, and finally the moon came up after... After a while, he saw the moon, and he's like, the Lord gave me a sign. He gave me a, a way out of this place where he was in a dead end. Dead ends can come to us like that. We can all experience something where we're making our way along, and then we experience dead ends. Sometimes dead ends come in different places. When I was a much younger pastor than I am right now, I was at a church, a smaller church, and it was a church that had some real questions about health to it. And... 9-11 happened while, we were at, while I was at that church, serving at that church. And just like 9-11 had ripples that went throughout the country and throughout the world, I felt like I was playing one of those Jenga games at, at church, right? I don't know if you played Jenga over the holidays with your family at all, but where you stack the little pieces up and then somebody, you know, you pull out a piece and you... And all of a sudden, we were at this church... Uh, <clears throat> We had two small boys. In fact, our youngest son, Asa, was born at that, at that church. And, and then all of a sudden, it was like everything just kind of tumbled apart. And we began <clears throat> to look at one another, and we're like, what are we going to do next? And my wife, Anna, and I, we, just, we could ask the question, but we really didn't know what was next. And we'd ask God, what's next? Because... We're at this spot, and we've got two kids, and, and this church isn't going well at all, and we're going to have a conversation about closing, and what does that mean for us? And like we, have, we just kept asking the question, and there was no answer. We were at, that's a dead end. 
We had no idea what the next step was. And we asked the question repeatedly for months, what is next? <clears throat> you may be at a similar spot in your own life of a dead end. Maybe it's not quite that dramatic, or maybe it's not driving, but you may have a dead end. And dead ends, in some ways, are different from other experiences that we have, like Sometimes in our, in our walk, in our journey in life, we come across crossroads. Crossroads are a little different than dead ends. Crossroads bring us to places where we have other opportunities. Um, Taylor likes our media director. He picked, this, he picked this because he said it was from one of his favorite films. He picked this image. What film is it again? Forrest Gump. For, it's not Forrest Gump. Castaway, thank you. Same character, just different movie. Castaway. But, you know, like this, this picture gives us the image of a, of a crossroads. And a crossroads, you know, you've got options, right? You can keep going on the same road that you're going. You can turn left or right. And throughout Scripture, we see people who, who come along in life and a crossroad comes along. King David has a crossroads when he's, he's uh, in the springtime and all of his soldiers and his, his generals, they go off to war, but he decides to stay home. He takes a crossroads he shouldn't take. And because he does that, he ends up in places where he, where he doesn't like to find himself. On the flip side, the Apostle Paul, the way he lives with God, or the way God works with him is, is that the Apostle Paul has an idea. He's got this sense of mission, and he, he's pursuing God, and then all of a sudden a crossroad comes into his life, something he doesn't see happening, and he finds up finding himself in places he never imagined he'd end up. Crossroads, crossroads give us opportunity. Crossroads give us options. And sometimes those options are, are sent to us by God, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes we find ourselves at crossroads. The other thing that we find along the pathway of life is that we find roadblocks. Um, in, the, in the language of jobs for life, we talk about things like something like this being, uh, you know, a log is a roadblock, and we might think about it as a wall or, or something that's an impediment to our progressing forward. In, in whatever it is we're wanting to progress in. As you think about <coughs> roadblocks, you know, things like this can be gone over or dug under or gone around, right? I think we live in a time when many of us think that life is supposed to be smooth and easy, and there's never supposed to be anything in our way. And so whenever we get to a roadblock, we think, oh, no, this is a dead end. Instead of pressing on, instead of having grit, instead of having perseverance, we turn around and we miss the opportunity to grow, and we miss the opportunity to see what God does in tough circumstances because we turn around too quickly. I think the one thing that is sort of universal about dead ends and that really marks those as separate from a crossroads experience or a roadblock experience is that you get to a dead end and when you ask the question, what's the next step, you ask it and ask it and ask it and the only thing you hear is the question. And you've explored other options, but the other options are just like they're dead too. Everything seems to be dead. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, and all of Scripture really says, but the Apostle Paul says that coming to that place is an experience that all of us have. Coming to a dead end is a universal experience that all of us are a part of. 
Because in some form or fashion, not only does it happen like, can it happen in our vocation or can it happen in relationships, but ultimately, we're all there because at some point, we run from God and we come to the place, we get to the place. And sometimes we decide we're going to live in that place where we're ultimately empty and separate from, from God himself. He describes this in Ephesians 2. If you've got your Bibles and you want to read along, you can, <clears throat> you can do that. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, he says these words. And this is from the message. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We did it, or we all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. The Apostle Paul there describes an experience that, that actually begins way back in the Garden of Eden. <coughs> when our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided that they could take steps away from God or they could live in a way in which God told them not to live. And from time to time, each and every one of us find ourselves in that same spot. Not only do we not find ourselves, we, we not only find ourselves in that same spot, but we go on that road. We walk that road a, a long ways or a long distance. We find ourselves separated from God, and sometimes our sense of finding ourselves at dead ends means that we find ourselves separated from, from other people as well. In fact, we find it hard to listen, or we find it hard to engage. We withdraw almost completely, not just from, from others, but we withdraw completely from everything. Recently, I was talking with a friend of mine, and she was describing <clears throat> a place in her own life that she got to through a long journey, but then how depression settled in and settled over her, her life and her mind. And she said, when I got to that place, there were people that tried to love me and they tried to convey that they loved me. She said, but even love felt like a prison that I was in. It's not far from God, far from others, far from everything, far even from the desire to live. Now, maybe we don't get to that spot where we're like, we don't have the desire to live. But at some point, each and every one of us have to come to the realization that we're stuck. And life that seems like really life is missing. And some of us in that place, we just despair. And some of us, we decide we're going to make the most of it. So we'll stay stuck in that spot. But Paul says that God wants to do something different. In fact, on the one hand, he says it's amazing that God wouldn't just give up on us. And yet, Paul continues to write what he's writing to the church when he says this. He said, instead of losing God's temper, which he doesn't do, instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, God embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ he did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up 
and sat us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. That's an interesting line, isn't it? When he comes into this world, when he encounters our, our life, God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, <clears throat> we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Paul says, <clears throat> when we come to that place where we think we're stuck, that sense of a, of a dead end place, then we're able to hear that God comes alongside of us, that he, he takes an action to enter into our world. Not only does he take an action to enter our world in the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, but he takes action to enter the world in which we live right now because God's not far from us. God knows where we live. God knows what our story's like. And he knows that nothing, although we think things can separate us from him, he knows that nothing can really separate us from God, from his love, and from his work, his action, his work of grace. This last week I was reading Seedbed's daily text. I don't know if, if you receive that in your email inbox or not. But as I was reading through uh, the daily text by Seedbed, and you're welcome to use the connection card to sign up and, and be a part of that, they were talking about the, the stories of Christmas that happen you know, after, <clears throat> after the birth of Jesus himself. And they were talking about the kind of world in which Jesus was born into, the devotional writer was. And he talked about how the world in which Jesus came into was a violent world. Well, a violent, a violent world isn't a whole lot different than the world in which we live in, is it? He talked about how Jesus stepped into a world where, where people sought in all kinds of ways to, to assume power and to take power on and to exert power. Well, that's not a whole lot different than the world in which we live in. The writer talked about how the world in which Jesus came into is a world in which People who are aged have dreams and they see that young children and babies and others can get in the way of their dreams. That's not any different than the world in which we live. And God, through Christ, came into this world and he comes alongside of us. And, and he has this passion that he wants to connect with us and he wants to give us life. And, and that place, that sense of being at a dead end, he wants to turn it around. He wants to move us out of that place. Paul says that God does it. He does it by his grace, by his strength. He does it by taking an act. Think about what does that act look like? I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of, of visiting people at the hospital, but in my role as a, as a pastor, I've been able to, visit people at the hospital for 
for several years, and, and you see people in all different kinds of conditions. Some people, you can walk into a room, and they're hooked up to all kinds of machines. Some people, you walk into a room, and it's like if, if you've had a bad day, they've had a really good day, and there's stuff, and they just share like what's happening in their life, and they, they pick you up. But I think about some of the folks I've, I've visited at a hospital who are laying in bed, and they've got doctors and nurses attending to them. They've got family members around them. And people are doing what they can. And people are saying prayers, and people are present. And in some way, it looks as if this person who's in this bed has no power whatsoever. And yet there's a power that comes into the room. There's a power that's at work in, in the body itself. And before long, maybe it's over a week, maybe it's over a several months even. They stand and they walk and they have life like they hadn't had. Whatever brought them to that point has suddenly been touched. It's been dealt with. It's been healed, if you will. And you wonder, how is it that that person who is at such a desperate place because they didn't have any power in themselves in that moment. They couldn't reach out and grab power. They couldn't do anything in themselves. But God came close. And people were close. And there was an attendant. There was a strength that became present and real. And I don't know if you can touch it, but you know that it's present and it's there. That's what God's grace is like. When we're, at the, when we're at the end, when we're at those dead ends, God longs to come alongside of us and be gracious to us. So what does it take on our part? Much like a patient in a bed who doesn't really have any capacity, any strength, any power, they have to, they have to simply be open to the process of healing, right? They have to be open in that moment to whatever the doctors are doing, whatever the nurses are doing, and whatever, <clears throat> whatever the goodness that God wants to do is present and active in their, in their body can take place. We have to be open to God. We have to be open to the act of grace, the act of God that God wants to do. How do we be people who are open? One of the things that we can do is we can really look for God to act. It's probably the first and last thing we really need to do. We need to say, God, here I am. If I'm at a dead end, we need to say, here I am. Somehow, act in this place. One of the other things that we find active, or one of the ways in which God acts in our midst is through companionship. He talks about how he's, Paul does. He, he notes that God sends Jesus into the world. and He sends Jesus to come alongside of us. And not only does God send Jesus, but then Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is a companion that comes alongside of us and brings to us the words of Jesus, reminds us the words of Jesus. And not only does that, but, but brings the power of God present into our lives. One of the things I'm really excited about that we're going to begin launching here at Schweitzer in, in the new year <clears throat> is the experience of having spiritual companions. And spiritual companions are like People who live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they really seek to live a life that's open to God and that hears God. But they also seek to live a life that's open to the people who are around them. They seek to live a life of deep listening. 
<coughs> Sorry. These spiritual companions know that God has a plan and a vision and a desire, really, for us to know the very presence of God, not just in an ethereal way, but in a very presence way. So God comes alongside of us through the act of companions who listen deeply to him and who listen to us. Another way that God comes alongside of us is through the act of patience. And when we, when we begin to open ourselves up to God and we say, God, I don't know what you can do in this moment, but I need you to do something. And if we receive from the Spirit the gift, the spiritual gift of patience, or as somebody else said, maybe the gift of long-suffering, we begin to see God work over the course of time. Sometimes we like to see things done instantaneously, right? And especially when we're in trouble, we like to see things done in an instant. But God tends to work in good and deep ways. And he tends to work over a season of, of life. And so we have to have patience. One of the pictures that I've been drawn to, it's a, it's a living picture right now, and it's being played out by a, a guy at Church of the Center. And when he first started coming to Church of the Center, he was, <clears throat> he was at a dead end, and he spoke with anybody who asked about it. He spoke openly about it. And I just encouraged him to have patience. And I checked in with him right before Christmas, and I said, how's it going? And he said, well, I don't know about this or this. And I said, it's been remarkable to sit back and watch and listen. Because as you've been patient, God's been active. And there are new things that are popping up in you that I don't know if you see them, but God is doing a new work, a good work. And in patience, God is leading you on to a, to a new road. I don't know what it'll look like, but he's leading you on. And it's fun simply to watch God work as this guy at Church of the Center is patient. A couple more things. Obedience in the way of Christ is one of the ways in which we, we see God do something new and move us from a place where we're at a dead end to something that's new in life. You know, it's one thing to say a prayer and to say, Lord, save me, and then to go back and do the same stuff you've been doing or to live in the same way that you've been living. That doesn't lead us in a new way of life. When Jesus came along and he began to call people to follow him, he said, walk in my ways. Do the things that I do. See the priority of love that I have for the people that are around me, and not just the people that are around me, but also my enemies. Obedience in the way of Christ begins to lead us in the way in which God will lead us from the dead ends that we face into some new places in life. And lastly, but it's not really last, it's really first, is to call out to God and have some trust. Pastor Bob said that when he was lost on a mountain, he said one simple prayer. And the prayer went something like this. Help, Lord. Help. Or Lord, help. I guess you can say it either way. 
That was the prayer that he said. When we go back into the stories of Scripture, when the Hebrew children left the land of Egypt and they were traveling along in the wilderness and they had ran out of all the provisions that they had brought along with them and they had no food, they began to grumble to Moses. And Moses turned to God and he said, Lord, help. And the Lord told Moses, tell the people to go out the next morning and every morning and take baskets with them. And when they go out, they'll find that there's this stuff, this provision on the ground for them. They called it manna, but it looked a whole lot like bread. And Jesus, when he was with his disciples, in the upper room, the night he would be betrayed, he took bread, a sign of God's daily presence, a sign of God's help, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken and given for you. For the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And his help, your help for today. And he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. A covenant in which you find me present in the midst of your life. And your life is linked with mine. Today, folks, we have an opportunity to come to this table. Maybe there's a dead end that we know that's very real and very tangible and very present in our lives. And we simply need to cry out, Lord, help. Or maybe we've been delivered from some dead ends. And when we come to this table, we need to come with a heart of thanksgiving. And we need to be willing to go from this table and tell our story of how God delivered us and God helped us. Whatever place you find yourself in, know that Jesus invites us to come to this table and to receive from him his life and his grace. I'd like to invite the servers to come forward. As they do, as they make this place ready for us to receive, would you pray with me? Kind Father, we each know what it is to have a dead end in life, to come to a place where we can't make another step forward because we have no idea what's there. We have no strength, no power. Sometimes the dead end is with you. Jesus, give us the strength to simply cry out, Lord, help. And in those moments, send somebody alongside of us.
to bear your presence to us. Thank you for this time this morning when we can be recipients of the bread and the cup. Not just signs or symbols, but your presence with us right now. For the things that we're facing, for the life we're living. And draw us, Jesus, into your life. In your name we pray. Amen. All are welcome to come to this table if you'd like to receive. You can come down the center aisle. There's gluten-free elements over at the table on the side. And after receiving, you're invited to go to the prayer walls if you'd like. You can say a prayer over here. You can write a note of thanksgiving over there. And as we do all of this activity, Jesus invites us to enter into a time of sweet communion with himself. It's an act of confession or thanksgiving or praying for the life you're living. Jesus invites us to commune with him and to find his life is available to us in this place. So come as you're invited.